James, welcome to today's How to Jab and Knock Out the Competition yeah. with Real Sales and Marketing Results. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. Thank you for having me on. I love the boxing gloves, dude. <laughs> hey, you know, that's like the best cardio, man. My buddy got a bag and you just dance around it and you bounce. And before you know it, like the everything just starts happening. You start working your heart rate up. That's the way. It's uh, it's what I do. It's how I it's how I get rid of all the stress from dumbasses out there that don't want to talk to me or they purposely avoid me. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about from a sales standpoint, right? Yeah, they know I sure do. You know they need you, right? But for some reason, James, they just at that point in time they just don't want to conversate with you. So I just had this conversation with a young seller this morning who was like, "How you know people just people just say I'm not interested." And it was funny because like. We immediately said, well, you know, what are you saying? And then, of course, the response is the typical young seller's response. Well, let me give you my pitch. This is what I say. Ah. I say. Oh, right there. You've got it, right? The reason they're not interested is because you're calling people and you're immediately pitching them. Stop this madness. So he was like, well, okay. So, you know, most people say not interested because it's like a, it's like a brush off. It's like, yep. I want to hang this call up is what they really mean. <laughs> Isn't that? So I tell him like, yo. The best thing you could do is stop the conversation. One, adjust what you're saying beforehand so that you don't get that response as often. That's the first step. Yep. The second step is if you get that response anyway, which is human nature, not interested, thanks. We just hang up. Stop the conversation. Wait, you're not interested in, and then talk about what they do. Wait, you're not interested in this thing that you do for a living or you're not interested in talking to me, uh. right? And then it's like this human reaction. They're like, gosh, am I being a dick? Like, yep, <laughs> yep. 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 100%. Well, James, let's take a step back. Uh, help me understand and our audience understand, how did you get started with sales? Mm. No, number one, this is a loaded question. Well, it's a two-part question, three-part question, four-part okay. question. All right. How did you get started? Why do you love sales? And then how did you get involved with John Barrows and his team? Per those are great questions. All right. So I cut my teeth in sales coming in and out of kitchen jobs. I spent 15 oh. years in the kitchen. Okay. And, and mostly big corporate kitchens, Chili's, Bennigan's, you know, Cracker Barrel. Like I, I did all the big kitchens that you might imagine. Uh, and I loved it. I was a good kitchen guy. It was a lot of fun coming to work. I had a lot of fun with my teams. Fun was my vibe. So in and out of the kitchens, because it's 114 degrees in there, you want to try some different shit. So you get out of the kitchen and you go do different things. And one of the things that I did all the time was sales. And I did door-to-door mm. -door residential and door-to-door -door B2B. That's where I cut my teeth in sales. Okay. So spent a couple of years pounding pavement, both in a full suit and in the Orkin pest control uniform, right? Wow. Like, I was the Orkin man walking around in neighborhoods, banging on doors. Um, the way that I got into technology and SaaS today was in 2015, I graduated from uh, 14, 2014. I graduated from Maribel College as a non-traditional student. I was 32 years old. I had four children and yep. we were going to school full time at the same time as working. And I was in the kitchen uh, and when I graduated, somebody that I went to college with who designed w the, the website for a small software company here in Knoxville, Tennessee called Cirrus Insight. And they posted, my company is hiring salespeople. If you have sales experience, please reach out to me. So I commented and said, I'm interested. I immediately got a direct message from him. He connected me to Zach Metters, who would later become my business development director. Mm. I worked under him and learned how to become a tech 
SAS SDR. That was my first role in sec tech sales. Okay. Uh, and now, uh, so then a year into that, I started holding my phone in front of my face and telling people all the things I was doing. Hey, oh, I tried to say this thing on these cold calls and I landed six meetings or hey, I tried this thing on these cold calls and it really tanked. Don't say this. Yep. <laughs> right? yep. So it, it became really popular. And I thought to myself, I should probably give this thing a name. Uh, and one of the dominant questions I was getting when I started creating content was, what do I say? When, what do I say? What do I say? Mm. What do I say? What do I say? So say what sales, what, ah. say what, say what was like really popular in the eighties. So that was in my brain and it just became this natural, uh, thing, this alliterative, alliterative thing that came off my, out of my mouth, say what sales sounded really good. Uh, and I stuck with it and it mm. caught on real fast. So then <laughs> Uh, I kept making content and I thought I better say something to attract people like me because that's yep. how you build a strong network. Mm -hmm. So I started saying at the end of the videos and at the end of my articles and content I would write, I would say, if you're a salesperson, we're the same person. And I sell to salespeople most of the time. Like that, ever since I started in sales, I've been selling yep. to salespeople technically. Right. So, so like, now, of course, I'm going to say this. I, I want to pull you people in my direction, right? Yep. So yep. I say, if you're a salesperson, we're the same person. Now people yell that shit back out at me at events. It's wild. So at the end of, in the beginning of 2019, I moved away from Cirrus Insight. I stayed there for four years. And I started at a company called Ringlead, data mm. orchestration. Learned a shitload about technology and the way data flows through a company. Uh, fantastic company to work with. And I got the pleasure of working with Grant Green, who was like big time movie buff and producer, had all the equipment, big studio in the office in Long Island, New York. So I got to sit in front of this guy's big fancy camera and learn all this great stuff about content and production. Uh, and that was just so much fun. And my content game really took a step forward. Mm. So for five years, I built Say What Sales, holding my phone in front of my face. And on the fifth year, it was cameras and lights and studio and scripts and all these things. In 2015, I met John. In ah. 2014, I met Morgan J. Ingram. Ah. He was with Terminus at the time, and John was just kind of doing his own thing. But I was a huge fan of John because what yep. he was talking about was being a human in your sales process and really giving a shit about what you're saying to people. And that resonated big with me. Then he hired Morgan in 2017, and I was like, Oh shit. Like I see the path to this now. Yep. When I met John, I was like, I got to work for this guy one day. Like his vibe was, I was feeling that vibe. So that was like the green light for me to be like, I just gotta, I gotta stay on this guy's radar and yep. keep creating me and keep doing the thing. And sure as shit at the end of 2019, I got a phone call from John straightforward. He was like, the way you make people feel is amazing. Hmm. You want to do it with me? And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, sign me up. <laughs> and this is my forever home, man. He's going to have to fire me. I'm going to make it uncomfortable. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so John, so, you know, I feel like John's a brother from another mother and I'm getting a sense that I feel like you're a brother from another mother. So I met John at a, out of, out of all places, an engineering conference, real geeky, oh, boring wow. shit, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, well, let me take a step back. I've got 10 plus years of experience doing inside sales and outside sales. Um, and the way that he presented his message and the way that he was able to storytell in a way that made sense to me with what's your introductory message, right? Mm. Because from experience, I'm like every other dumbass out there, right? Hi, my name's Chris. How are you today, James? Oh, Chris, I'm okay. How about yourself? Oh, cool. Why are you calling? Well, I'm calling because of blah, 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 right? 
And he was able to convey it in such a way that just made complete sense to me. Literally at that moment, at that conference, on that day, I think this was back in 2015, 2016, I don't remember. Anyway, it just made a ton of sense. And ever since then, I started following him. I started commenting on him. I started to stalk him to some degree on LinkedIn Go, man, everything he's saying makes sense. What's the purpose of your call? And frankly, I'm an asshole to people that try and sell me now. Because I'm now taking that message and I'm redirecting it saying, look, cut through the formalities. I don't, you know, I don't care how you're doing. You don't care how I'm doing. Why are you calling me? Yeah. Your ask, right? Say what sales, what do you want? (laughs) And then I'll tell you whether it makes sense to conversate or not. Right. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about kind of your experience with that introductory pitch and really pivoting from that. Hi, James. How are you today too? Hey. The purpose of my call is X, Y, Z. Yeah. So I think most people struggle with a couple transitions. The first one is how do you get someone to want to talk to you on when they pick up the phone, right? Yep. Uh, so I give a lot of things out. I'll give a couple things out here that are worth, worth having. First of all, we as a society of salespeople have a terrible habit of opening the conversation with who we are and who we, we're with and what we do. And this is like big shock for all your listeners out there, maybe, maybe at least a percentage of them. No one gives a shit. You, that you have to earn the right for them to care who you are, what you do, the product you sell, the service you provide. You have to, you have to earn that right. And we do this through, by creating genuine curiosity and by leveraging our own genuine curiosity about the individual on the other side of the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let me give a couple good openers. And these are some good things. Uh, yep. One of them one of them has a lot to do with the gatekeeper. And I love this one because it comes from uh, an old sales guy you might know. Chet Holmes is his name. He wrote mm-hmm. a book. He wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. And it also was a great presentation that he did. Uh, rest in peace, Chet Holmes. But he talked in this training about tone and inflection. So here's something we do when we call a number and we're looking for, let's give her a name, Shelly. We're looking for Shelly, right? And we get somebody on the phone that's clearly not Shelly, but we do yep. this thing. We go, we go, hi, is Shelly there, please? Yeah, and huh? there's this upward inflection that we have in our voice. Well, we already lost the game. <laughs> like, yep. We already got the label as unscheduled caller that Shelly doesn't want to hear from, right? That's what that yep. gatekeeper just heard with that upward inflection. So I tell people yep. all the time, Start high and end low. This is what that sounds like. Uh, I'd like to speak with Shelly, please. And uh, that sounds much more authoritative. So the gatekeeper thinks this person, clearly this person means business, right? right like, right. And maybe you still get the same answer. I'm sorry, Shelly's not available right now. Most people would say, I'd like to leave a message. Or the gatekeeper might say, let me put you through to their voicemail, Right. And, and most people are okay with that. Yeah, go ahead, put me through. And you leave this voicemail. No one's phone yep. rings off the hook with callbacks, right? Yep. I tell people, stop the conversation right there. Uh, mm. They're not available right now. Oh, amazing. What's your name? And there's mm. this pause. Interesting. And they go, my name is Winston. And you're <laughs> like, hi, Winston. The reason I'm calling Shelly, would you mind writing this down? Hmm. I don't want to go through to the voicemail. Maybe next time I'll go through to the voicemail. But right now I'm going to have Winston write this down. (laughs) And I'm going to do this and then I'm going to call back. And if someone else answers the phone and say, is this Winston? And I say, no. And I say, what's your name? (laughs) Mm. By the time I do this over and over, I know exactly who I'm talking to. They know who I am. They know I'm calling for Shelly. And I want whoever it is to wake up in the morning, hear my phone call for a 15th time and walk into Shelly's office and go, look, I don't know what you're doing today, but can you take five minutes and call James back? He calls every day. 
He seems like a really nice guy. He knows all of our names. <laughs> I just became a human being to Shelly. And you built rapport. And I've built the rapport right and I've earned that conversation yes. instead of forcing it. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Let's talk about, and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to pivot into a webinar where my name was brought up, uh, that you were on with John and Morgan, and I did it on purpose. Um, yeah. And it's salespeople are lazy. Let's talk about that for a second. Now, I can say that because I used to be one and to some, mm -hmm. well, I'm still one, whether I want it, whether I want to be or not, right? As a, as a self-employed consultant, I am a, I am a sales rep, right? True and true. So the purpose of that on that webinar was, look, it's a hard game. Okay. And I know it from experience and, and, and I'm going to call bullshit on everyone that, that says that they disagree that I sandbag like everyone else. You damn right. I did. When I had quotas to hit, you damn right I sandbagged. What would I do the last week? If I'm at 105% and let's say that I'm not going to get to that next tier of an accelerator payout, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to take a couple of days off, okay? I've done it before, right? So I'm going to say, fuck that. I'm going to focus on my next quarter and making yep. sure that I have that pipeline to yep. be successful that next right. quarter, right? Talk me through your, just your perspective on salespeople are lazy. And I know it's not true, but it's a hard game. And when you're so, constantly under pressure, quarter after quarter, day after day, go ahead. What are your thoughts? I, I agree that salespeople are lazy to an extent, but I think the form in which they display that laziness has changed. So let me give you a good example. Yep. In our heyday of selling, when we were, could get to, you know, 105% and some people still get there early and sandbag. Sure. I agree that sandbagging is one form of laziness. However, I will also state that I believe salespeople have become lazy in their, the most important part of their process in their prospecting. So here's what I mean. No matter how hard you try, it's very difficult to convince a salesperson that has the ability to spray and pray or pump and dump <laughs> one message out to thousands of people. It's difficult to get them not to do this. The problem comes when you have five, six, 10, possibly hundreds of salespeople sending out thousands of messages all at once. What's happening here? What's happening is you're impacting your deliverability because your domain is being tarnished. And the salespeople on the whole, especially younger salespeople that are inexperienced and that don't know the marketing side at all, they don't have any insight into the damage they're doing to the mm -hmm. domain as they pump out thousands of emails thinking to themselves, this fucking job is easy. I'm mm -hmm. only going to talk to people that want to talk to me. <laughs> uh-huh. So I believe that salespeople find ways to try to make their job easy and alleviate themselves from doing manual work. Now, not manual labor, like breaking rocks and building yep. railroads yep. and, you know, mining coal. We're not right. talking about blue collar work here. We're talking about the time that it takes to find an ICP, drill down to a persona, figure out a trigger that's relevant to the person yep. that you're about to reach out to. This takes too much time and the pressure comes from up top to get the results, get the results, get the results. So they find ways to become lazy and streamline the process. The form in which they display that laziness has shifted dramatically. And we've opened the door for it with mm -hmm. all the technology that we provide to our salespeople. Absolutely. I, I can think back to, and I'm going to go back to uh, uh, my, my heyday as a sales rep. As a, as a young buck in his 20s, um, 
one of the things I just disliked, and I'm real curious from your perspective where you where you see this going as it relates to sales metrics and and, and the sales management component of sure. managing the the sales team, is one of the things I used to hate, and and it, it was it was data points. So I was tracked weekly on certain metrics. How many voicemails did you leave? How many connections did you make, Chris? How many conversations did you have? Um, oh, how many of those are actually an opportunity, right? Um, is your pipeline 3X your quota? Um, sorry, I can go on and on here, but I was meticulously measured on that. And it drove, James, it drove me nuts. It pissed yeah. me off. It really yeah. did. To some degree, it was it was the opposite of motivating, right? It was a demotivator. Talk, what, are, what are your thoughts on how do you effectively manage a sales team knowing that, man, they're under the gun all the time? My immediate instinct is to say that this is the reason that salespeople have an average tenure of 18 months at a company. That's crazy. Um, if you would like to know the biggest mistake that sales leaders make, it's building a team that's foundation is rooted in KPIs and metrics. Ah. That foundation is impacted by KPIs and metrics, mm -hmm. but it cannot be built on KPIs and metrics. It has to be built on non-tangibles, care for what you do, passion for your product, concern for your customers, genuine curiosity, real discovery, qualification. <laughs> These are great foundations that are far more important than how many dials did you make? Mm -hmm. Let me play devil's advocate for just a moment. Sure. APIs and metrics are extremely important because you will never back into a sales equation, i.e. how many activities do I need to get this many meetings, to get this many proposals, to close this many deals. Simple equation. You need to have KPIs and floors that are set so yep. that you can back into that equation and know what every day looks like for yourself. If you cannot find that equation, you have a problem hitting your number. KPIs are extremely important. They are crucial to everything we do as salespeople, but they are not a sales culture. Mm. That's what they are not. And if you're going to coach to those numbers, which is way easier to coach than the, to the culture, what you're going to find is that people often push back on you. You become somebody that gets labeled as someone that doesn't care about their success. You only care about the numbers. These are very commonly common phrases that you hear from salespeople that talk about former leaders. Oh, they just didn't care. They only cared about the numbers. Yep. Right. But the problem is they go and they go to the next sales job and it's wonderful for 18 months. And then they leave and they say about yeah. that sales leader, they only care about the numbers, right? Of course they care about numbers. You're in sales. They're supposed to care about numbers. But if you're a salesperson that is trying to hit that number, the path to hit it is in true care and concern and real relevance to your clients, to your prospects, to your customers, your best resource is your customer success department, the people that actually serve your customers. They're going to give you the best information. <laughs> yeah. But we do find that leaders that invest in their team's continuous learning tend to hold on to their salespeople much longer, as mm. long as there's a path to what they want as an individual contributor, which differs from person to person. Hence the reason why sales leadership is so complicated. Because you're dealing with complicated people, right? People are complicated. Right? I would say people, people are scared, panicky animals, but a person is probably logical and reasonable. I think that's a men in black quote, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 
I'm thinking you made an 80 reference early and I was thinking about the cha-ching uh, commercial. Anyway, I don't know why that's in my head right now, but that's here nor there. Um, cha-ching. Um, I'm going to leave you with this, James. Uh, but before I do that, um, one of the things that used to bother me uh, when I was being managed was I had one manager in particular that I just could not stand. He was an asshole. I'm going to say it out loud. Makes, hey, me feel, makes me feel good saying it. He was an asshole. Yeah. And he used to tell me when I would, when I would do well and I'm at 120%, 150% to my, to my, quarterly quota right and then and then the the right that that transition goes from that last day of the month to the first day of the next quarter and he's like chris you just went from hero to zero congratulations <laughs> what have you done for me lately right and i just think back to that you know and just again being able to manage personalities like you said that's a job in and of itself right anyway i'm gonna leave you on this last question talk to me about and, and I believe you guys did this on, on a webinar the other day. I, I was I hopped on it late, but you talked about how many touches does it, does it take? That multiple touch point, okay? Talk me through what are you seeing? What are trends that you're noticing on what's realistic for a sales rep knowing that I have to hit them up eight times, 10 times through LinkedIn, through email, through phone? Talk me through what you're seeing as it relates to how many touches does it really take for me to finally get to that conversation that says, you need to buy my shit and here's why. The magic number that I've been told and that most people will tell you based on their data is it's between 16 and 20. Wow. To generate a meaningful conversation, not a reply because a reply could be unsubscribed. Well, I don't give a shit about that. That's not a good, right. valuable reply. I don't care no. about that. Right. The question is how many touches does it take to generate a meaningful conversation with a cold prospect? And the number I've been given is 16 to 20. What I've also been told by several sales leaders that we've worked with and several people that I know in my circles is most reps, if you look at their cadences, give up around six touches. Yep. You're not even close to the minimum number of touches that it takes to generate a meaningful conversation. And here's the other part of it is that they're mostly trying to sell in their message. And they don't realize ah. that the message is the vehicle to earn a meeting where you should do the selling. And that's the part that I think a lot of sales reps miss in 2022 is they, they think the job is to sell. It's not. You've never actually sold shit in your life. You provided a path to value and someone on the other side raised their hand and opted in to sign the paper. I don't care how much you've closed. You've never sold a damn thing in your life. People decided this is what I needed. And you did a great job presenting that as the need. And that's why they bought it. But they made that decision. You did not convince or persuade them that they needed it. <laughs> wow. I, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that hearing that number 16 to 20, like, that's a game changer, <laughs> right? Because I remember, God, this was probably 15 years ago, right? I used to hear it 7 to 10, Chris, 7 to 10, 7 to 10. If you're not doing the 7 to 10, then, then, then you're missing the boat. You're not giving yourself and them the opportunity to earn the right, like you said, to actually have that conversation or have that meeting. When you think about the average touch being 16 to 20, and then you talk about SDRs that have KPIs, mm -hmm. doesn't it make sense that they would default to that technology and streamline that process so that they could reach mm -hmm. those KPIs because it's so much higher than it once was. Here's the reason why this is happening. I know you wanted to leave with that thought, but yep. I want to leave you with this one. Sure. The reason that happens is because there's a generational gap between leaders and frontline sellers. Mm. And in the generation above them, 
the C-level, the director, the VP. More was the answer. More calls, more conversations, more door knocks, right? That was the answer for them in their heyday of selling. Today, your top performers that are millennials and younger will often tell you they do less better. Hmm. That's a contradiction internally at almost every company that you hear. Oh, you know what? Our, our SDRs just aren't working hard enough. They need to get up earlier, stay later, make more calls, send more emails. And you talk to their top performing SDR and they're like, Yo, I made eight cold calls last week, but I scheduled six meetings. <laughs> yeah, that's a win all day, right? <laughs> I don't care how you get there. Just get there, right? Well, you should care how they get there because okay, you need fair, everyone fair. else to be getting there the same way. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Efficiency gains, right? <laughs> well, it's not just that, but like how many people have top performers at their company? Almost sure. every company, right? How many bottom performers go to that leadership or to that top performer and go, hey, what the fuck are you doing that I'm not doing? Can you help a brother out? Right? It's an ego thing. Set your yep. ego aside and go yep. to the top performer at your company and go, what do I need to change about what I'm doing? Yep. How do I get time with you so you can help me win? And if they're any kind of team member, they will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, James, say what sales, man. Where can people find you? Uh, so you could definitely become a member of JB Sales at joinjbsales.com. Hit me up on Insta at say what sales, all one word. Also the same on Twitter. I love a good email, james at jbarrows.com. Don't drop me in your drip campaign. I will find you and hurt you. <laughs> uh, and I love a good cold call, 305-632-6005. But be ready. If you try to automate that, I will catch call you out on it for sure. <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks for t- th- thanks for being part of the last this this episode of How to Jab. Yeah, knock out the competition with real <laughs> sales and marketing results. James, you the man. Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. <laughs>